0: Welcome to The Business Extra. I'm Mustafa al-Rawi, the national Assistant Editor-in-Chief. Today, we're gonna be talking about the disruptive forces in the Middle East and North Africa, whether to trade, supply chains, or digital trends. We're gonna speak to global consultants, Alex Partners, in a moment. Before we do that, if you like this show, please do subscribe. If you're on YouTube, hit that bell. Well, as I mentioned, we're talking about disruption, and in particular, the global consultants, Alex Partners, have put together a disruption index. And this year, for the first time, they're going to be looking at the Middle East and North Africa. Uh, So let me welcome to the show uh, Rob Hornby and uh, Gabrielle Shaheen. Thank you so much for being with us. Hi, morning, thank you. Um, So as I mentioned, uh, Alex Partners puts out the disruption index. It looks at um, sort of the forces at work and how companies and management are going to be handling them. Uh, but it seems as if uh when it comes to the Middle East and North Africa that perhaps it's a slightly more optimistic picture, at least in terms of what the survey uh indicates um gabrielle is this is this is this correct that it's it's more an optimistic scene at the moment?
1: Yes, of course it is it is more optimistic than the global results in the Middle East. there is three out of four executives are confident that they will be able to handle disruptive forces, and that's slightly different than our global results. And this reflects the optimism of not only the government in in the Middle East, but also the various private sector companies. The priority is, or the focus, is how to prioritize these disruptive forces, mostly around supply chain, workforce, and digitization.
0: I mean, Rob, You you kind of cover the 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 re, you know the the wider region the EMEA uh, for Alex Partners. Um, you know what's your perspective here in in terms of, of the the findings, but also you know why is why is a consultant like yours looking at these disruptive forces in the first place?
2: Let me start with the second point. So, Alex Partners is a consultancy, but with a bit of a twist our focus is really in what we call the when it really matters situations so be that a bad situation requiring restructuring or a good situation like a carve out or a merger we focus on those critical situations and, and we're very um focused on complex implementation that's really our specialist area and so disruption is really our marketplace, and, and we put the disruption index together to help our clients understand what is happening uh, better than they would otherwise. Uh, in terms of the uh, the situation in the Middle East, I would say proactivity of government is a very distinguishing factor. Uh, the government is thoughtful about these issues. I think very proactive about these issues, and if you look at our recommendations, I think there's good evidence um, that uh, governments in the region are thinking about disrupting themselves. They're very focused on talent and the region becoming a talent hub. Um, There's an action orientation and a speed uh, to taking action, which is not necessarily replicated elsewhere, and digital is a high priority. So we see all four of our recommendations enacted by government in a situation that I think is rare and differentiated compared to the global scene.
0: And, and Gabrielle, in terms of the region, I mean that's that's your focus um, uh, for Alex Partners. Do you, do you find it's a it's a homogenous picture, or, or is there a, a kind of change depending on which region or which country within the Middle East and North Africa? Oh,
1: no, it is it is more or less homogeneous. Uh, we what what we're seeing in the region is the increasing effort of the governments to take a more proactive role uh, to promote the new industries to attract talent, and they are putting behind very large investments in order to make sure to move the needle on talent employment partnerships and capabilities building and the private and this gives confidence to the private sectors to follow suit and to make parallel investments to this picture
0: I, I feel at the moment that there are no forces that aren't disruptive at work today I mean I'd, I'd love to know if there is something that that's that's keeping the status quo, if you like. Indicates that you know most executives feel resilient. They feel that they can they can tackle things. And as you were saying, government has been proactive in many countries in terms of policy, in terms of helping um, both the public and private sectors to cope with you know whether it was the impact of COVID or, or climate change or or even beforehand in terms of you know globalization breaking down. Um, but there's also a lot of fear out there, and, and your own survey indicates two-thirds of executives are worried that the, the, the disruptive forces that they are trying to be proactive about might actually replace them. I mean, you know, is that a contradiction, Rob, or is, or is it natural in, the, in this situation?
2: I think it's a strange dichotomy, but um, it perhaps is understandable. I think the role of CEOs and executives has changed. When I was first um, in business, I think we thought we had some kind of right to periods of continuity. I remember five year planning. Um, And we knew that the economic cycle would probably disrupt every few years with recession and so on. Uh, What's happened is governments have generally got better at handling the economic cycle, although, of course, I speak as someone from the UK where it doesn't quite look that way this morning, Uh, but other things have begun to be disruptive and they've started to uh, compound together. And I think that that disruption is virtually continuous. And so the myth of periods of stability, I think, is just that. It's a myth. And we're now in a period where disruption has become the job of executives and i think they're adapting. CEOs in in my view don't really run the business in the way that they used to 20 years ago. They are managers of disruptive forces, of stakeholders, of regulators. And actually a lot of the day-to-day management of the business is done elsewhere. So we see adaptation. I think senior leaders are getting used to continuous disruption. I think the reason that they fear for their jobs, I have a friend of mine who's a Silicon Valley marketing manager, and he said to me the other day, we're always one click away from extinction. And the reason you might be one click from extinction is that you might find by following a link that someone out there has rendered you obsolete. And so I think we are living with that threat have been disrupted by competition or new business models, uh, but executives themselves have got good at dealing with disruption. That probably leads to the dichotomy that you drew attention to in your question.
0: Yeah, and and I can understand that that there is you know uncertainty and and, and concern, but you know a, a kind of responsibility and a duty to to make sure that uh, the the future is taken care of. And, and and Gabrielle, if I can turn to you for a sec in terms of, of what you've seen with your clients and, and and people you've spoken to here in in the middle east north africa the, the the climate change discussion you know how much of that is filtering through to actual strategic decisions or or does it remain with with executives here a case of getting the pr right how how much is, has that uh, subject seeped
1: into the day to day most of the executives and government officials we work with today are optimistic about the economies in the region, despite the uncertainties and the geopolitical tensions happening in neighboring and in European countries. And they are looking at this uh, opportunity as uh, uh, I, it's a great opportunity for them to double down on what they are trying to do and try to invest in new technologies and a new talent development. When when it comes to climate change, it's always on top of executives' agenda, and they are increasingly asking for support, especially that COP27 is happening in Egypt uh, in the next couple of months, and it's on top executives' agenda.
0: Yeah, it, it very much is. And, and of course, the following year COP28 will be um, in the UAE, and, and so the region is is hoping to have a leadership role when it comes to uh, policy and action on on climate. Uh, we're used to being um, here, sort of a, a centre for for energy production, but very much they want to be at the forefront of uh, sustainability efforts, but also the energy transition, which is which is both a disruptive uh, force as well um, as well as potentially a solution uh, to some of the problems coming up. But but I think if we if we you mentioned something about talent there, uh, Gabrielle, and 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 for both you and Rob, I assume that a lot of the conversations, um, when it comes to to helping with the disruptive forces, how do you get the right talent in to deal with that? And and it seems that despite there being a large and long term understanding that we need job creation to meet the young population here, that it's still a mismatch out there. There's still a mismatch, I should say, uh, between uh, the workforce uh, requirements in terms of people needing jobs but also what employers need and it's a, a matter of as your survey suggests critical skills gap um in investing in in also the right tech the ai and automation that's required to balance out between efficiency and 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 talent but also uh retaining and developing a, diver- a diverse workforce so so kind of you know how how big of that, how big a piece of the of the of the problem or the opportunity is is the the whole workforce question?
2: Let me start with a bit of global perspective on that. There was a lot in that question. Um, and i'm I'm not sure that we've seen a settled situation and maybe we never will see a settled situation. A headhunter friend of mine called me the other day and he said, We've been saying for years that there's a war for talent because it's good for our business, but now there really is. And we've seen these extraordinary um, heated markets for talent, people being offered um, new roles literally in the first call. Um, I don't think that's actually good for anyone in the long term, but it's been a feature of our recent past. I think the more disruptive forces are the deeper and longer-term ones. You mentioned skills. That's a big challenge. I think our education systems are not producing um, the people with the skills that we need, and there's adaption to be done there. I think employers need more involvement in shaping some of those courses that people go on. Uh, automation and robotics has been touted as a huge disruptive force for a long time. It's been more gradual, I think, than people predicted, but it is taking hold slowly. Um, And we have to accept that the generations that have come up behind people like me don't want the same things uh, that I did when I entered the employment market. They're very concerned about values and ethical issues. They want some balance in their lives. Uh, They're more multifaceted and who are we to criticize them? And so I think employers are having to adapt as well to a different set of expectations. And that will take time. Of course, some of those people are just starting to become leaders in our businesses. And that is going to bring a whole new wave of disruption. I think for the better, perhaps.
1: Uh, let me just compliment on that point. Uh, the fact is based on what we're seeing in the region is that organizations today will not carry them to where they want to be at perpetuity. And that's a fact, that's a big challenge. And the jobs that needs to be done are jobs that have not been done before. Hence, the pressure on employers to find and to source jobs, not only for executives or elite jobs, but at all levels. What is becoming increasingly important, and we're seeing that in the region increasingly, is to fill in jobs around artificial intelligence, about consumer insights, uh, about data analytics, because as you know, organizations, especially in the regions, are very rich in data, but poor in insights.
0: I, I hear what you what you're saying, um, both of you, Rob and Gabrielle, in terms of of, of where we're at. I, I find there's there's a heavy irony here because over the past decade, um, people were encouraged to to start up companies and disrupt. Right, get out there and disrupt, solve problems, um, you know, may, you know, shake things up, and it kind of became a kind of you know a badge of honor if you were out there disrupting. And now, um, you know, the disruptive forces are bigger than everybody. You know, it's even it's even. I mean, while big tech might have been disrupting, now I think they're even being buffeted by by some of the forces at play at the moment. And so, you know, is there a sense that that we that we don't have control, and do you think that um, we will ever get back to that point where we feel we have control, whether it's you know in terms of as you mentioned earlier, Rob, five-year cycles or, or whatnot, or is this essentially to, to to use a cliche, the new normal? Now we have to just get used to it.
2: Well, I think the new normal is that there is no normal, and of course that is a cliche. I happen to think it's true. I don't think we will. Uh, ever be in control in the sense that you might have been intimating. uh, Because technological developments are too rapid, I think geopolitical issues are unpredictable. We've certainly seen that in 2022. And I suspect that this kind of dynamic is here to stay. The new leadership paradigm, I think, is being confident about that in being responsive, creative, um, disrupting first your own organization before someone else does it. So uh, sometimes cliches are cliches because they're true. And I think in this particular case, um, we're not gonna see a return to stability and control. I think we could argue, did we ever have that or was it an illusion? But we certainly don't have it now.
1: Just to build on that point, people we work with, executives and government officials, start to realize that wait and see is is not an option anymore. And we often at Alex Partners because we are uh, we come in in situational analysis. They they ask us to start. So the important thing is to start small, and scale up. A plan. A decent plan with execution is much better than a perfect plan with pure execution capabilities. And we're seeing more more, and more that our clients are inviting us to start a transformation journey where the scope is not clear, but we adapt, we show quick wins, and this is how the shareholders get more comfort about the journey. Could I just
2: add something to that? Um, I'm a technologist uh, by background, and the fact that we now have a digital person leading the EMEA region is probably uh, some kind of indication of disruption in itself. But there's a finding in our survey about how poor digital transformation is in the execution stage. That's a really big issue. And Gabby was just talking about something very important there, which is start small, get it right, and then scale. What we see too much of is grand plans uh, that end up in um, extremely expensive places, uh, very rarely meeting the original objectives. And I read a book in the 1980s that had the wisest saying I think that I've ever read, which is, if you don't know what you're doing, don't do it on a large scale. And I think there's something to learn there in the digital arena. Pick something really important to the business, solve it on a small scale, and when it's working, scale it up. And if we saw more of that, I think we would see a different picture of executional success.
0: Rob Hornby, Gabrielle Shaheen from Alex Partners, thank you so much for being with us.
1: Thank you for having us. Pleasure.
0: That's all we've got time for today. Uh, All that remains to thank our production team and you all for being with us. Do join us again next time.